0: Good morning it is good to be with you this morning and sensing the presence of God already in this place I uh, have to say to you at the outset there is not often that this happens to me but I feel so filled by the Lord that what I want to get out may come out too fast I want to say to you that I love my Lord and Savior That I'm not good enough, but he has made me. That I stand before him humbly this morning. Recognizing the preciousness, the value, the enormous privilege of speaking his word. I don't know why you came today. Maybe someone dragged you. I'm a pastor's kid. I know what it feels like to be dragged to church. Maybe you're coming out of a sense of tradition. Maybe you're here for all the right reasons. But I pray that God's word would be seen and heard. And that this morning he would draw us to the cross in a way... That dismisses the cloudiness and the uncertainty that many of us struggle with, especially when we look to Him. I pray in this next few moments that you would have the discernment and the willingness to say, speak to me, Father, for I'm listening. I prayed this morning that in this service, God's Holy Spirit would be so abundant that there'd be no confusing me and what I do from what He can do and who He is. I pray that He would so arrest our spirits this morning that we would leave this service going, if I missed this, I missed something so valuable. If I missed this today, I would have missed hearing from God. I want to encourage you this morning to expect more than some of us expect when it comes to times like this. Expect that God speaks. Expect that God has a word for you. Uh, But I am human and so are you. And I know that there are many distractions this morning. As Kelly pointed out to me this morning, he knows I can be long-winded and he reminded me that there's ham in the oven. I think it's okay. And I don't want to make you too nervous for ham to be a little well done. But this morning, can you relieve yourself from the distractions, from the walls? from pushing away from God could you trust this morning that he has something specific to say and would you open your hearts to his word if you have your bibles turned with me to john chapter 19 and i want to read 9 verses this is what it says verse 28 After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may be taken away. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him, Whom they have pierced. Let us pray. Father, in this moment, I pray that you would show up through the simplicity of human thoughts in a profound, life-changing way. I pray that you would move us beyond the excuses and the distractions to hearing your voice. That you would slow us down enough this morning, on this day, to look upon the one who has been pierced in our place. I pray that we would see beyond just good words and philosophical ideas, the truth and the experience of a Jesus who gives himself wholeheartedly for us. A Christ who understands our thirst, understands our desires, understands our wants and longings. May we see you on the cross today and be humbled in our very beings to fall before you in adoration and worship. Arrest our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There are many theories of atonement. Theories of atonement, for those who know and don't know, are ways to speak and explain the effect and impact of the cross. Uh, Some speak of it in terms of a penalty that was paid, that God demanded justice for the injustice and the implications of sin. And instead of putting that penalty upon us, Jesus became a worthwhile substitute. Others speak of it in a way that says God's desire for justice in some way has been satisfied in the person of Christ. Yet some speak of the cross as a way of defining that God has ultimately won, that He is victorious, that He has overcome Satan, sin, and death. And then there are some who say, when you look to the cross, it so moves you when you see a Savior hanging from that tree, that it moves your heart, because in it you see someone who's given His life for you. I have studied theology. Some of our pastors here have. Some of you have. Some of you know the scriptures. And I want to say this to you in all my study, in all the conversations that I've had with many of my professors and those people far more brilliant at theology than I am. We all come to the same conclusion. Every theory that is out there to try and explain the cross will fall short because there's something about the cross that transcends my understanding We struggle with this. We struggle with understanding it. If we have to be honest, we struggle with really defining what it means. In fact, we are not alone. The disciples struggled with it before and after his death. Peter rejected it. Peter didn't want anything to do with it. And you know what N.T. Wright says? He says, when Jesus tried to explain to his followers what the cross was about, he did not give them theological ideas or philosophical explanations. He offered them a meal. The way that Jesus defines and explains and gives context to understanding this day is by inviting his followers to eat and to drink with him in such a way that they would always remember who he is and what he's done. In a simple way, this Eucharistic table, the Lord's Supper, communion, depending on where you come from and what language you're comfortable with, represents Our willingness to take into our lives the Jesus on the cross. Not the Jesus fathomed in our own design, in our own desires, in our own whims, and in our own likings. Not the Jesus who makes all things in our lives work out. Not the Jesus who gives us what what we want. But the Jesus who dies in our place. I think there are many barriers to understanding the cross. I think there are many reasons why we struggle with our faith in Jesus Christ. I think there are reasons that the scripture in particular help us to understand and see beyond. When I read the scripture, I was reminded of a few very particular things. First, about how thirsty I am. Throughout my life, growing up in South Africa, moving to Canada, I've enjoyed a great cup of coffee. And all God's people said, Amen. In fact, Tim Hortons will give us a profound theological truth this morning. Here is the profound theological truth. Every time I buy a roll up the rim and I roll it up, what does it inevitably say? Please play again. You see, the truth is... We're all thirsty people. And on the cross, Jesus says these first words in our narrative. I am thirsty. Do you know what the first problem for many of us is? We diminish the humanity of Christ for the sake of His divinity. This is what I mean. When you look at the cross and all that you see there is some divine intervention. And not the brutality, the pain, the suffering, the bloodshed, the sweat, the cries. Then you will not understand what kind of Savior He is. You see, many of us in our Christian perspective, would settle for a God who somehow miraculously, divinely intervenes at the moment when life hands us its worst. But what we have in Jesus on a cross is not an escapism. It's not divine intervention to remove pain and suffering. But a Christ who dies in our place on a cross and says, I define all that is real. I do not escape it, but I take it on your behalf. One of the biggest challenges for many of us in understanding the cross is that we look at a savior who didn't really suffer. You know what the author of the Gospel of John says at the outset? The word became flesh. The word, Logos, Jesus, became human. He became vulnerable He became tangible. He became killable. You know what Philippians 2 says in that hymn? Though he, being created in the image of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took on the appearance of man in the flesh. You know what John says to us? When you understand who this Jesus is, you see that he fully is human when he's on that cross. In every way, He is like you and me. There is a mystery in the incarnation. There is a mystery this morning and an uncertainty about all that it means. But if there is a clarity, it is this. God truly in Christ became like me. He understands my pain, my want, and my longing. And as long as He's a distant God that doesn't understand, He cannot be our Savior. I think one of the biggest challenges for many of us, that we don't truly believe he understands. But all about this, are you still with me? Say amen. Hope you have the oven on low. Crucifixion was a nasty way to die. Historians tell us that it could take three, four, five days. In fact the scripture teaches us this, it says this. It says that in order to expedite They're dying. The soldiers were instructed to break their legs. Many of us understand why, but for those who don't, I'll explain it. In breaking their legs, they couldn't hold themselves up. And not in holding yourself up, you could actually suffocate because of the weight of your body pulling down on your chest. Many died of suffocation. But under the Middle Eastern sun, when the sun was bearing down so hot, it makes perfect sense to think that Jesus says, I am thirsty but there's more to this thirst than just the revelation of his humanity. In fact, earlier in the gospel, in the chapter that just precedes this, you know, when, 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 when the Romans show up with the priest to arrest Jesus. Are you still with me? Peter stands there. He's ready to pull out his sword and defend Jesus. You remember that? You know what Jesus says? He says, put away you, the sword, Peter. Shall I not Drink. The cup that my Father has given me. You see, there's a a thirst going on here that, that transcends the human thirst. A thirst here that goes beyond just what a blistering, sunny, Middle Eastern sky and sun would bring to a human body who has been dehydrated and hanging from a cross. And maybe I can explain it this way. If you go even further back to the beginning of John, you find a story of a woman at a well. She is a Samaritan woman. She is a woman who comes at a time which we are led to believe is the time where very few others would be there. Jesus engages her in conversation. Please stay with me because I was so blessed by this truth. I hope you will be. I, 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 as, I, as, I, as, I, as I read this story, this struck me. Jesus asked her for water and she never gives him water in the entire narrative. But eventually Jesus makes an offer to her and he says, I will give you living water that will so satisfy you that you would. And have to drink ever again And right when Jesus has her You know if, I, if Jesus was a preacher That is that moment Where you know you've got the audience Break in right now Jesus with an altar call Do something right here This is the moment But you know what Jesus does in the story He says to her At the moment where she's asking for the living water You know what he says to her He says go and get your husband Have you ever wondered why that story unfolds that way? You know what she says? She says, I don't have a husband. This is what Jesus says. You're absolutely right. You've been married five times, and the man you now live with is not your husband. I heard this truth come from a man upon whom I I lean and learn a lot. Nothing I say to you is brilliant to Stu Williams. I grab and borrow all of what God is saying from others, and I bring it to you today. So lest you think I'm this smart, I'm not. You know, the reason that some propose Jesus asked this woman to bring her husband is because Jesus wants to point out just how thirsty she's been. Jesus wants to show how that every relationship so far was a well that has run dry. Jesus wanted to point out to her if you want to drink from the water that satisfies It is not going to be in the relationships that you've had, as many as you've had, if you want to be filled, if you want to be at peace, if you want to know the joy, then you must drink from this living eternal water. Listen, folks, at this point, if I was preaching in South Africa, people are jumping off their chairs and singing hallelujah. Listen, He is the living water that satisfies. Now, in case you think I'm just a frantic, energetic South African preacher, I want you to grab hold of this truth. Many of us have drunk and drunk and drunk at wells that don't satisfy. Maybe you think your thirst can be quenched in your career, in your relationship, in your spouse, in your success, in your abilities, in your achievement. But like the Tim Hortons cup says, every time you drink and roll up the rim, please play again. In fact, I've heard that coffee is dehydrating. In fact, the more you drink, the more you want. I've heard the same of Coke, and I think that is incredibly tragic. But the one thing that ultimately satisfies And fills you and quenches you and distills all the thirst that we have in our souls is the person of Jesus. Now, just when you thought it got good, it gets better. You know what Jesus does on the cross? He says, I become your thirst. In fact, he becomes our thirst so real, so pointedly, so incarnately that in the other Gospels, it quotes him as saying, My God, why have you forsaken me? You want to know how he becomes our thirst? He experiences the distance and the isolation and the abandonment that is common to so many of us. He knows what it feels like on the cross as He says, I am thirsty to long for a quenching. It is that Savior who dies. It is that Savior who knows you better than you know yourself. It is that Savior who truly identifies. You know, I've heard peace preachers preach over the years. You know, as I said to you, I'm a pastor's kid. I've heard so many sermons. You know, and thank, thank God for that because I just... Use them now, as I'm a pastor. Amen. But there's a way in which you can hear, but you don't listen. There's a way in which you can hear truth, but truth doesn't filter in. You know what? Uh, th- th- there's a sense in which, when I started to realize, and, and about mid-afternoon yesterday, after feeling so dry this whole week, has anybody ever had a dry week? How about a season? How about a few years? you know it's in the desert that Jesus meets us? It's in the barrenness that that eternal spring can satisfy. Now some of you are saying, Oh, it's all good philosophical theological things too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But what on earth does it matter to me? Where are you putting most of your energy hoping to be satisfied? What can you never get enough of and never fills you you know no human relationship can bear the weight of quenching the deep thirst in our hearts only Jesus can you know in fact if you get married as a Christian and you think that that lovely bride whom you've married is going to be the perfect thirst quencher think again you're not that refreshing drink either You know what only satisfies? Drinking from the living water. I want to say this to you. I am better able to love my wife when Jesus is the well from which I drink first. I don't put undue expectations on relationships that cannot fulfill me as only he can. Don't get me wrong. Marriage is a wonderful gift, and I want to jump up and down to say thank you to God for my wife and my children. But I lost my family once. 29th of September 1996, I lost mom, dad, brother, and sister in one day in a motor vehicle accident. You know what I've learned through loss? That I can lose what at that moment meant the world to me. But I have in Christ a savior who understands my pain and loves me deeper yet. Oh, friends, this woman at the well, her life is changed when she drinks the living water. That the thirst that she has could not be satisfied by anyone else but by Jesus himself. You know, this is how thirst looks in our, in our society. I have to keep on succeeding. I have to keep on achieving. Some of us have become so competent at competency that, that the only success that will ever satisfy is the success, success that is out of our reach. My friends, let me say to you, in any given day, in any circumstances... All that we count as success can be taken from us. In fact, what the cross says to us, at one point in time, unless our Savior comes, each and every one of us would come to the end of our human life. Where are we drinking? So on the cross, Jesus thirsts in a way that fully identifies with my longing and hunger. On the cross, He enters into what all know and experience in our lives. A thirst that can only be quenched by, by Him. What a Savior. What a Lord. But there's a second phrase He utters in this narrative. And it is the phrase, it is finished. I'm not going to pronounce it right, but the Greek word, tetelestai. Basically, if I was to give you a, a word, picture, image... ...of this word finished, it would be to have a bill, uh, an exorbitant amount of money owing, and have a stamp placed on it and said, paid in full. Um, It has this sense, not of finality, but of sufficiency and completion. Now, don't get lost on this, because I think it will make sense, at least I hope it will make sense in just a minute. If what Jesus has done on the cross is not a finished work. We have problems. I'll put it to you this way. During one of my theological classes, we're talking about atonement theories. I was getting a brain cramp as we were talking about it. Intricate. How do you understand? Trinity, incarnation, death, all these many, many theological concepts that are worth wrestling with. In fact, at one point in time, I said to one of my profs, I said, you know, I'm not just, I'm just not a theologian. He said this to me. We're all theologians. Stu, you have to choose whether you want to be a good or a poor one. Because after all, theology is nothing more than wrestling with who God is in relation to who I am. But in this class, that was a side point. I apologize. As we were talking about the cross. As we were thinking about the implications. My professor said something that I can quote to this day because I remember it. It hit me that hard. He said, Stu, students, if you do not wrestle deeply enough with what Jesus has done on the cross on your behalf, much of your Christian life you will spend trying to do what He already has. Some of us Try so very hard to earn his love. Do you know what the keystone verse of this entire gospel is? For God so loved that he gave. You know, everybody can quote John 3, 16. But you know what verse 17 says? For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. Friends, he has done enough for you. He's given you everything you need. You know, in this in this culture where we never quite know where the line is to sufficiency, it's crept into our Christianity in such a way that none of us ever feel satisfied. We didn't get enough of Jesus yet. You know what the cross says? You're gonna have a peace, you're gonna have a fullness. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And as they stab him, life flows out of him and into us. Friends, you can have the full life. He has, he has paid the full price. Some of us beat ourselves up. Some of us try to save ourselves. If there's anything worth remembering is that when He dies on the cross and He says it is finished He has in that moment accomplished for us what none of us can accomplish in our own strength you see there's a reason that only Jesus dies on the cross in this way because only He could do what He did As I was preparing this message, and now I close, and all God's people said, Amen. It's okay, you can wake up your spouse. I I recognize every day, not every day, most days, just how old-fashioned I am. A hymn came to my mind. And in fact, I called Kelly late yesterday to ask him to... Do this song. It's an old Isaac Watts hymn that says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death death of Christ, my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. This morning, we must turn away from the wells that don't satisfy and at the table drink in the one who does. I say this to our congregation quite often the reason you must come to church as many times as you can is because Jesus knows that forgetting is easy for us in fact you know how Jesus knows he says when you eat this and drink this do it as often because there is the reality you know when we leave here we will forget. You know, or at least the memory doesn't, doesn't sit there where it really compels us. You know, the, the reason we have to come to worship consistently is so that we would constantly drink Him in. The world will offer us double-doubles. <laughs> Lattes. They taste good, but they don't satisfy. As Pastor Blaine comes and prepares to lead us, I want us to just take a moment to prepare our hearts. I want to ask you specific questions. How thirsty are you today? How deep is your longing for fulfillment that has not yet been met in anything or anyone? Where is your thirst leading you? May it lead you to our Savior this morning. Father, I pray. That we may be repentant, and that it would bring us to participate in this sacrament with such a thanksgiving and humility. That what words in a message can vaguely describe would be experienced in the very sacrament. That we would take Jesus deep into our lives. May thirst be quenched here this morning on this Good Friday. May people who have long sought for that water find it here today. To your praise and for your glory. It is finished. Amen.